It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no sheets. The land of fucking with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a momentous minute of morality in a miserable world. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm Joel. It has Denby. been a little it, miserable. It has it? been, yes. Yes, well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. I just first want to tell you that I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right, and my co-conspirator, the hostess with the mostest, and together we are the dynamic duo, a prodigious pair, a courageous couple, all sorts of stuff. We are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors. Yes. Have you been injured in an accident <laughs> with a dipsomaniacal duck? Dipsomaniacal. Do you know what that means? No. Well, maniacal is bad. Right, right. And dipso means um, to drink. And uh, so, in other words, if you like water, right? are dipso. an alcoholic, you are a dipsomaniac. <laughs> so, a drunk duck. <laughs> yes. But you could have just said a drunk duck. You could get in... In an accident with a drunk duck, swerve it's out of the true. way and avoid running it over that and is get true. into that a hap- terrible, terrible accident. That happens a lot in South Florida. That's right. And if you've been injured <laughs> in an accident with a dipsomaniacal duck, well, our attorney <laughs> says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice. For anything other than post-apocalyptic settings, no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Narsimi strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Well, we sound a little better this week. We do sound a little better, but... Still have that um, occasional hacky cough. What do we get that, about every... 15 to 30 minutes. Oh. Sometimes every hour or so. Well, we're still recovering from the flu. We yes, had last, last week. Last week, oh, our show was terrible. mostly about the <laughs> flu. It was mostly, our, ha- uh, it was half <laughs> hacking, <laughs> half talking. I don't know how you got through that. Yeah. I had to stop. 
Yeah. I, I couldn't talk anymore. Well, the show must go on. Yeah, that's you, what they you say. say that, but I when you're that. deathly ill, yes, well, you need to just get your tushy in bed. Now, speaking of deathly ill, you know that it's still possible that we could get the flu again this Do, flu season. No, no. Sure enough. We're not going to, no. It's true. I'm not going to accept that. Now, we're not going to get the exact same flu, of but it's not. very possible that we can get a variant. A, any kind of variant. The, the flu that we got was probably H3N2, but there is another flu that's hitting baby boomers. There's um, uh, influenza B, mm-hmm. which is a, a common late flu season virus, and the flu season has been extended, I think, uh, instead of December to February, I think it's going November to March this year. And the, the flu vaccine has Lovely. been just not all that effective against the H3N2. So if an H1N1, like a swine flu type uh, influenza A virus or an influenza B virus comes around, mm-hmm. we you still could get the flu. So it's very important for you to wash your hands and be very, very careful about get a sne- people sneezing on you and all that so respiratory hygiene kind of stuff that so we always talk about. don't feel high and mighty and protected if you've actually just had this flu. Right. Well, you won't get this We're, exact flu. I understand that, but there's a lot of them roaming around, apparently. That's absolutely right. Oh, and, I'm hiding. I'm just going to hide. Yeah. And speaking of roaming around, in times of trouble when zombies are roaming the streets, are you the person that would know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured, preferably not with zombie-making viruses? <laughs> right. Well, you know what? You can... You can prove mm-hmm. to the world that you've got more sense than a satchel full of squirrels by learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits. That's where we come in. And while you're at it, doesn't it just make common sense, folks, to get some supplies and maybe a quality medical bag to go along with all that knowledge? Well, I sure think so. And what better place to get it than the lovely nurse Amy's, this lady right here, mm-hmm. her entire line of often imitated, never equal medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They're going to help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster. And they're designed by, well, yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an honest-to-gosh advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anybody who's ever owned one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That's pretty clear. So get moving, Reuben. <laughs> Reach out to old Dr. Bones and lovely Nurse Amy, and here's how. Well, let's see. You can email us, of course, at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones. That's just Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a Facebook page where you can find all of our articles and podcasts and every all the news that's going on, and that's our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can follow us on Twitter, at Prepper Show. And we have a YouTube channel, DR Bones and Nurse Amy. That's right. We do have Pinterest, too. Right? You can, We have a number of pins, Doom and Bloom. Is that one of them? Yep. Yes. Uh, survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Survival Medicine. Prepper Info is another one. That's too. right, Prepper Info. So we have quite a few. Um, also, don't forget our second uh, podcast, American Survival Radio, now broadcast from all sorts of land-based radio stations throughout the United States, from everywhere from Texas to Pennsylvania to mm-hmm. Alaska, gosh, Oregon, 
all sorts of different places. And plus, of course, our internet radio networks that carry our show, like our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, Talk 365, KIMB, all those other stations. And also, this show here is broadcast from Land Base Radio as well at KYAH in the great state of Utah. So we appreciate them for picking up the Survival Medicine Hour and uh, also, of course, to our internet friends at the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, Prepper Broadcasting, all those other great folks, and we do appreciate it. Well, we're mostly over, Mm -hmm. thank goodness, our terrible flu situation. Mostly. I I think what happens is you just keep a little bit of inflammation in the mm-hmm. lungs that produces a little bit of mucus. I, I call them plugs. And then we just have to cough those up because they're blocking a little bit of the airway. Yes, yes. Things like and Mucinex you, are good for that. Oh, Mucinex has been a lifesaver to us. Now, the one we used, they only have extended release now. They used to have just the regular. But there's capsules, and what we get, I should call them caplets, are the 600 milligrams with no DM. So it's just plain. That's dextromethorphan, which is the cough suppressant. Yeah. I, I don't believe in cough suppressants. I, I think that you need to get that junk out of there to yeah. breathe better. So loosening it up is what Mucinex does, guaifenesin, mm-hmm. and it just makes it easier to cough it up. The only circumstance in which I would recommend using a cough suppressant is if you can't sleep. Because you're coughing so much. Just to, yeah. If you're not able to sleep, you need your rest. And if it's you can't true. sleep, you can't get better. And so that would be the only circumstance that I would uh, consider something like that. But yeah. ordinarily, yes, I, I would absolutely agree with you. Now, I want to talk a little bit about yes. other issues related to, I guess, the nose. The respiratory system. It's yes, still the respiratory right? system. And then, right. And we're it's gonna the t- beginning part of the respiratory system. Yes, the nasal cavity. <laughs> the upper start part. <laughs> taking a deep breath. And one issue, a common issue and an often minor problem, but one that causes significant anxiety for both the patient and the caregiver is the nosebleed. Now, nosebleed is also known as epistaxis. So you've learned not only dipsomaniac today, but uh, (laughs) you folks out there might now know about epistaxis, which just basically means a nosebleed. And more than 50% of the population experiences nosebleeds during their life, although only about 10% actually will require some kind of medical aid to stop it. Most significant bleeds occur at two different points in your life, usually when you're a little kid, two Uh to ten years, I remember getting some nosebleeds when I was a little kid. I don't think I got one when I was little. I remember on the I had some blood on the pillow a couple of times. Aww. So uh, that somewhere between two and ten years, uh, and when it happens was it, again. I have a question. Was mm-hmm. it, do you remember if it was winter when it was dry? I don't Cause remember Because your parents when. might have had the heater on. Yes, that's very possible. We lived up north back then, so it could easily be. When you were little. But also much later, it occurs much later, there's a, a bimodal phase there, and between 50 and 80 years of age mm-hmm. is when the next highest uh, lovely love prevalence just, just of one more thing that we look forward, forward to. to yes and it's hard to say <laughs> as we all yeah. age just add to that list honey well it's important to know that <laughs> the anatomy of the nose the vascular anatomy the blood vessels in the nose the nose is really richly supplied 
with all these little blood vessels. So vascular. Right. Wow. If, if this lining is damaged or eroded in some way, all these bare veins and arteries have a tendency to leak in some kind of constant ooze. There's your nosebleed. There's mm -hmm. your epistaxis. Uh, about 90% of the time, the hemorrhage comes from the front of the nose uh, in, uh, in front of or below the level of your bony part of your nose. And then we call that an anterior nosebleed. And that's uh, around the cartilage of your nose, not so much around the actual bone. Mm -hmm. This area here, just before, the, just below the bony area of your nose, is called the uh, Heikieselbach's <laughs> plexus. It's, it's been a while since we've had to read uh, that in our medical text. Right, and some from people school. call it, right. Some people call it Little's Little's area after old Professor Little. Little's. And um, this area contains numerous small arteries and veins where the bleeding oftentimes originates. Uh, bleeding that's anterior usually comes from one nostril only in the grand majority of cases, but in a small percentage of cases, bleeding may start actually posteriorly in the back of the nose, uh, way back there where other arteries are located. You have different arteries that supply that area, and these nosebleeds have a tendency to occur more often in the elderly and be much heavier in volume, more difficult to stop. You remember my old Aunt Rose oh, had issues woman. with oh my gosh. Uh, nosebleeds uh, in her well, well into her 90s. All the time. Yep. She the got them. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, the, the diagnosis is usually made when your attempts to stop an anterior nosebleed fail. That's how you most, most people figure out that they have a posterior nosebleed. But uh, you can also tell because you're bleeding from both nostrils with a posterior nosebleed, and of course, blood is draining down the back of the throat. Now, why do these nosebleeds occur? Well, that, that's a really good question. There's a lot of different reasons why epistaxis occurs, and of course, trauma to the nose and face is a pretty common cause. Somebody bops you in the, in or, the nose. Or you their, run into a door. Get it's a not necessarily sandwich. that somebody's hitting you, but right. maybe you're hitting an object. Right, yes. A Walk fall, right into a, a door. A, yes. do a door, fall. Some right, people fall, fall and, mm -hmm. and hit themselves. Uh, little kids might pick their nose excessively. That's something that little kids do. Yeah, and I don't think ad older adults do that. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe if they lived alone for a long time. I, picked, I don't remember the last time I picked my nose. It's me, not acceptable. I'm doing it right now, though. No, you're not. It's a, I'm doing not, it. Not yep. acceptable for husband and wives to do that. Well, you know. You get kicked out of the house. Well, I think that it's important to trim your nails. That's all I, all I have to say. <laughs> oh if you're going to pick your nose a lot. Okay, I'll tell you what. Always use a tissue. If you use a tissue then that protects your nail from hurting yourself, traumatizing. And don't stick objects up in your nose. Do you know what happened when there was a strike at the nose factory? No. They picketed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Well, anyhow, other reasons, other risk factors that are that could cause nosebleeds are, of course, exposure to dry air. If you've yeah, gone that's skiing, what I was talking for example, about. in Colorado, that you will get some nosebleeds and usually. And a lot of times I think it's people who are used to higher humidities who go temporarily, or, mm -hmm. or maybe you end up moving, to a drier area and you're 
body's just not used to it. Right, uh, especially if that air is very cold or very warm. In other words, it could be in the winter and you can dry out because you're in this very cold air, or you're inside where there are a lot of heaters, heaters that take all the very warm the humidity air. out. Right. Very warm but dry air, right? So that's, that's why a lot of people buy humidifiers. Yes, and that for is the always a good idea. By the way, if you go into a very dry area, most hotels will have a humidifier that you can. We ask need to ask for, for those. We've yep. had problems with. I wouldn't say nose bleeding, mm-hmm. but. Like dry the, blood yeah. in our nose we if we're been in, in the far west Colorado, 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 Den- Denver does that right. to us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Any area like that. Of course, there are other a lot of other reasons: sinusitis, other infections that affect the nasal cavity. That may do it. Uh, a foreign object in the nose if you're if you're a little kid. Um, excessively forceful nose blowing. Boy, I hear some people when they blow their nose, it's like an elephant trumpeting you know, <laughs> through their trunk. So uh, if you're excessively forceful with your nose blowing, can cause bleeding. Of course, allergies will do it. Um, some people have um, problems with the septum, the, the middle part of the nose that separates the two nostrils. That could cause bleeding. Or if you have surgery on your septum, like a, a, a nose job, uh, complications from this surgery can cause bleeding. There are, of course, drugs that are inhaled through People the nose. People have a lot of surgery because uh-huh. of deviated septums. Right, that's true. You have one side of your nose you just can't breathe out of, and so they need to have that fixed. So that surgery is uh, actually kind of common. Yes, it is very common. And uh, also, there's a lot of drugs that people inhale through the nose. Now, of course, recreational drugs like cocaine, that's very well known. They call it nose candy. So, I don't know if people are doing that so much anymore. I hope not. That's uh, Unfortunately, they've switched to even worse stuff. I know, like opioids and oh terrible my things gosh. like that. But they're also therapeutic. Ugh. I'm not just saying recreational stuff. There's therapeutic medicines like Afrin, uh, oxymetazoline, yes. and uh, metazoline, I'm sorry, uh, or neosinephrine. And these things can cause bleeding because they're very, very habit-forming. There are some people that use this stuff regularly Constantly. and wind well, up needing Because it. they probably have a deviated they, septum and they don't want to go get surgery. So they're using these so they can breathe easier. It's uncomfortable to feel like you can't breathe out of one side of your nose all the time. Right. So I think what happens is these folks probably need corrective surgery and mm-hmm. maybe they're afraid or they, you know, for whatever reason they can't do it. And so they're using these sprays so they can feel like they breathe easier right right and you you do and you can get addicted to them absolutely because if you don't use it there's something called rebound effect right and you get extra stuff you actually get worse yes when you stop using it than you were before you even started using it right exactly so more swelling so it, it becomes this habit because now you really feel like you can't breathe so you got to go back to it there are, of course, a lot of other medical issues, blood clotting disorders that can cause yes. nosebleeds. If you have problems with your liver or kidneys, that malfunction may may also cause you to have irregular bleeding. Uh, if you're a chronic alcoholic, of course, if you're a dipsomaniac, that will do it too. Uh, some people have <laughs> nasal polyps. Dipsomaniac is the word of the day. Um, uh, tumors in the nasal, nasal cavity, like nasal polyps, things like that, that'll do it. 
Uh, there are other medicines that you don't inhale through your nose, but that thin the blood like Coumadin and aspirin, Plavix, uh, uh, even ibuprofen would do it, uh, could, could cause that. Now, high blood pressure is associated with nosebleed, but the question is, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Is the elevated pressure causing the nosebleed or is anxiety associated from seeing blood pour out your nose? Is that causing your blood pressure to rise? So that's actually sort of a good question. Have, well, okay. My belief would be that it's high blood pressure. Yeah. Causing the nosebleed. Okay. Well, that, I'm gonna. I believe. I'm gonna go with that as an eighty percent, and then I'll go the other way for twenty percent that well, you get a nosebleed and then your blood pressure well, goes up. I say it's. About I'll say it's forty 80. sixty, and I, but I won't say which direction. How about that? <laughs> You better say the 60% high blood pressure first. Oh, yeah? Yes. All right. Well, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, let's eat. Now, most of the time you <coughs> deal with uh, nosebleeds uh, yourself. Bless you. Yeah. Uh, nosebleeds yourself. Uh, but there are circumstances where you are going to need more help. If you see somebody that's bleeding heavily through their nose and they are weak or they're faint, they fainted or they're dizzy, confused, altered mental status, a very rapid heartbeat, bleeding from any place other than the nose as well, that could be some kind of general blood clotting abnormality, uh, or the presence of fever. These are some reasons that, you know, it's time for you to make sure this person gets to a hospital if there is a hospital available. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the story. So keep an eye out for those symptoms. But if not, luckily, you know, a few nosebleeds will cause heavy bleeding. And most can be treated at home by following a few general steps. Yes. And first and foremost, stay calm. Absolutely. <laughs> That's important. Anxiety speeds no up your pulse. Out. Right. And right. causes more rapid bleeding. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to stay calm. Now, I want you to sit up, but I don't want you to sit back or lean your head back. You know, facing the ceiling. <laughs> just so you know, guys. I, that's he, what I just did. He by always the way. demonstrates. <laughs> if he says something about a part of his body, he's touching it. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> when you talk about eyes or nose or right. teeth or ears. Right. Well, I'm not going to talk about chest, prostate no. infections no, in don't the near do future. That. No, if I don't, that's, I if don't that's need, what I do. I don't need you to do an on air <laughs> prostate <laughs> exam. All right. Then. Okay. <laughs> Nobody needs to see that. Or Funny, that. I want you to sit up, but I want you to lean forward. And leaning forward is going to more effectively prevent blood from flowing down the back of your throat and really give you an idea of whether you actually are stopping the bleeding or not. That's probably a good idea. So well, and, and logically, it's because if you lean back, the blood could just simply slip down the back of your throat. You right. might not notice it. You might think it's just a bunch of saliva and think that your bleeding has stopped. So right. it is important. Plus, blood in the stomach. I don't know if you've ever discussed Make that. Make you nauseous. Is a, a bad oh. irritant. Mm -hmm. It really does make people get sick. It's it's a rare situation when people have, you know, a, an amount of blood in the stomach and they don't feel it. Like they don't get nauseous or they don't throw up. Usually it irritates and it makes you sick. Yeah, most people aren't used to yeah, ingesting large amounts of blood. So don't think you're just going to have a bunch of blood in your stomach and not know it. And the worst thing about it is in normal times that once they figure out you have blood in your stomach, they have to figure out whether you're bleeding in your stomach or not. Or if it comes And so from you wind else. up getting a million dollar workup with all sorts of crazy tests that would identify 
whether you were bleeding in your stomach when you actually are just having a nosebleed. So in any case, leaning forward, I want you to use take your index okay, don't, finger don't squish your and nose your thumb. I won't squish my nose. <laughs> but apply pressure by tightly pinching the area of cartilage under the bony part of the nose. I'm touching my nose. And, the, and I just want to say, pinching the bony part does very little to stop the bleeding. Right. Pinch towards your face and press. The nares. Squish your nares. Your nares. That's your another nares. word for nostrils. That's right. Now, by the way, there is indeed a commercial nasal clip that is available for this purpose. I it saw looks that. That a was little bit so like, funny. It looks a little bit like a clothespin. Uh, but there it's are... It's got padding. Pad, it has some padding. Right. So if you have a nose... or a, a clothespin, you could pad it with some tissue so it's not hurting. Or you can just buy the nasal clip. It probably oh, costs a couple of I like the DIY. Do it yourself. Uh, do it yourself. All right. Yes. Now, so, or just pinch your nose, for goodness sakes. Now, listen. You what need else to... you got to be doing right now? All right. Well, you have to hold pressure for about 10 minutes or so, I would say, at least. And breathe through your mouth during that time, or the, otherwise you're going to faint <laughs> or collapse. <laughs> or collapse. Don't collapse, please. Uh, hold pressure for about 10 minutes, and if the bleeding successfully <coughs> stops, well, for the next day or so, you probably shouldn't blow your nose or, or bend over with your head lower than your heart, let's say, or right. strain what you don't for wanna, the next day. Right. What you don't want to do is increase the pressure inside the blood vessels of your head. And if you've ever stood on your head... Upside down, <laughs> yeah. when you were a kid, you know, all the blood rushes there and there's a lot of pressure. Right. So that's why we're mentioning don't lean over because you don't want to increase the pressure inside of those blood vessels that may have been bleeding. So, which could cause them to restart bleeding. Exactly. So that's what you want to do. Keep the pressure low. And you want to make sure you take your blood pressure that it is normal. If it's not, you need to go see a doctor. And if you're on blood pressure medicine, make sure you don't skip any dosages. Right. Keep your and if if you're taking your medicine, it's slightly high. Lay on your left side. That does help. Get in bed and rest. Low stress. Tell everybody leave you the heck alone. <laughs> Watch a funny movie. Laughter relaxes you. It's the best medicine, by the way. Right. And stay on your left side. Just tell everybody you have to lay on your left side. Nurse Amy says. Blood pressure is lowest <laughs> on your left side. That's right. That's right. And now, of course, if your bleeding does not stop, then what you probably need to do is you need to blow out some residual, all those clots that are in your nose, and then maybe use some neosinephrine spray or some Afrin and five or ten more minutes of pinching the nose. So you can use that in a in a pinch, haha, so, so to speak. The the purpose of the spray is to constrict the blood vessels. Right, exactly, and hopefully that'll slow down the and, bleeding. And, and if you think about it, it, constricting just means kind of pinching off. So if you're constricting the blood vessels, you're going to have less blood that's able to flow through them, so you'll have less blood coming out. And it may actually help stop the nosebleed. So... That's the purpose of, of the Afrin at that point. Don't get addicted. <laughs> now, if you have... Just use it a right, couple right. of times for that nosebleed. So let's say you're the caregiver, though, and somebody comes to you and they did all this stuff and it didn't work, then that decongestant or saline solution or, or, or Afrin or neosinephrine, that is probably the first thing that you're going to want to do 
as a caregiver because you want to see if you can figure out where the actual bleeding is coming from. And so, so to determine the location of the bleed. You want to clean it out. You want to clean it out. It's like an irrigation for a wound. Right, right. So you're, you can look in there if you get rid of the junk that's sitting there. Exactly. And by constricting the blood vessels and getting the junk out uh, and... That may make visualization easier. might even stop the bleeding, of course. You need a little flashlight, and, for and, sure. And you need a, a, a particular instrument called a nasal speculum. Now, if you're a lady and you've been to a gynecologist, they use the speculum to look inside the vagina. There's a oh, little that's bitty so one. Much fun. There's a little bitty one that they use in your nose that's called that the on, nasal speculum. Let's see if they have Works that Works very on, similarly. Um, Amazon. Let's oh, see if sure. they have that, if they sell them. I bet... I bet you know, Amazon sells <laughs> nearly everything. Let's see. I'm sure that they do. Well, I can get them from Medline and put them on. The there side. you go. Let's there see. they are right there. Yeah, right there. I know. Not the world's cheapest, but for about okay, nine bucks, look, you can get a pretty decent. Online Walmart. Yep. Which is not actually Walmart, by the way, guys. Walmart Online is like an eBay. Oh. And so is Target Online. It's oh, like really? an eBay. It's not being sold from Walmart. Oh, okay. It, Walmart's just the platform, and there's a whole bunch of different sellers. All right, but you can find it. Eight fifty nine. So it's called the nasal speculum. That's one thing that might be very useful. They have them. This also, is the child size. Right. They also, have a child and adult. Exactly. Also, uh, you want uh, some silver nitrate sticks. These are very long um, are those swab over the sticks. Yeah, I, I believe thought we so. We had to have. No, I believe they're over the counter. Swab okay. sticks, and they have uh, basically they look like a big match big wooden match and but except what they have is silver nitrate at the end of it and you apply oh, you the silver yeah, yeah you apply the silver nitrate to the little bleeding blood vessel if you can see it and that's a a, a good way to cauterize the area and stop the bleed i see some on ebay i, I don't care for ebay there's some on amazon uh-huh well, silver yeah, nitrate sticks right that's it and silver nitrate applicator sticks. there you go all right, so that's that's something there. So that may help. Now, of course, there are circumstances where nothing helps, and so what you need to do in that circumstance is you have to pack the nasal cavity to apply pressure to the area. And if you get a, a long, um, thin, we could actually use the four by fours and just sort of, you know, stretch those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, packing uh, gauze packing with maybe some petroleum jelly might be useful to apply pressure to a leaking vessel. Now, there are other packing materials. It would include things like a Celox ribbon, a blood clotting agent, a hemostatic agent that comes in a very thin, long ribbon. That's an option. Or, of course, you can take your uh, gauze packing and uh, apply afrin or neosinephrine to that, soak it up real good, and then apply it. You know what I can do? I could actually make maybe a, a nosebleed kit. Sure. With silver nitrate and yeah. an adult and a child speculum. Yes, that would be a useful addition a sil- to any a, medical a, kit. A Celox ribbon. Absolutely. All that would be very useful for any any kit, I would think. And some 4x4s. Sure. I also have the... Um, Metaform gauze. The roller gauze. Right, yeah, a roller gauze, right. They have to be skinny. What about dental rolls? Dental... Uh, Maybe. They're a little too small. I mean, you could Maybe pack for, them. I think for a kid, it would probably work okay. Interesting. All right, well, we just remember. came up with a nose bleeding kit. All right, there you go. All right. <laughs> um, 
There are synthetic sponges that are filled with this blood clotting material. That's called Maricel, by the way, M-E-R-O-C-E-L. And these you just sort of shove straight back into the nose uh, and uh, it helps stop bleeding. Also, there are these balloon catheters that you can actually put an, a, essentially a deflated balloon into the nasal cavity and blow it up and uh, it applies pressure. There are a number of different versions of that. The Rhino Rocket is one. The uh, um, Epistat, I think, is another mm -hmm. one. I mean, there are a number of different, different... The Simpson Plug, I mean, there are a number of different brands that you can use. In, uh, in my article on nosebleeds, I actually uh, have a video by a doctor showing him uh, placing the Rhino Rocket. <laughs> sort of a cool name. Um, but basically to place a packing, a simple packing into the nose, you want to get some of that gauze and maybe impregnate it with some uh, petroleum jelly and grip it with a bayonet forceps. And a bayonet forceps looks a little bit like a bayonet, actually. It's pointy and it allows you to grasp things and go straight back into the nose. Now you don't want when you, another... when you pack, you don't want to go upward. You want to go straight back. Straight back. That's uh, where the nasal cavity goes. Towards the ear. Yes, exactly. The, the ear lobe. Right. Towards, towards the ear towards, lobe. Look, towards the ear right. lobe is the perfect. Right. And that's where you're going to want to put aim. your first layer. And then you just add it in sort of accordion like fashion or z-fold fashion the idea that we're telling you, you folks is up. not aiming towards the eye right you're not packing yes. towards the eye right you're packing towards the earlobe right you don't so want when to we say straight things. back we mean straight back you don't see the funny thing is is most people don't know nasal anatomy right and everyone thinks that your nasal cavity follows straight yeah. up your nose right. And, and goes between your eyes. Right. Well, you're not a porpoise. Your you're not a porpoise. You don't have a blowhole. You know, so <laughs> it goes straight back. Is the way is the way it goes. Now, so that, it's very important because you could traumatize the nasal cavity if you poorly place. Yes, you're packing. You're packing. So it's very important to know that this is not something that is not without risk. It, it could you could actually injure somebody by placing this inappropriately. Uh, and I'll say that this, by the way, nasal packing is an uncomfortable procedure, and, and usually it's performed under, under some sedation in the emergency room. But uh, you know, you need you just need to have significant pressure to be effective, and the packing just has to stay in for a while, probably 48 hours, 72 hours, maybe, and that's a drag because you have to breathe through your nose, uh, through your mouth for most of that, and that's uh, that's not too much fun. At all, some people have um, thought of using a Foley catheter, a urinary catheter, uh, to apply pressure to a posterior bleed, and I think that's something that might work. Although you got to be careful you know, you, filling that up because yeah. some of those Foley balloons can get pretty big. They get pretty big, and you so, could cause again more injury. Yeah, you might do more harm than good. So it's one of those things that you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. Now, cold temperatures are thought to constrict blood vessels, but unfortunately, it's unlikely an ice pack is going to effectively deliver enough cold to the origin of the hemorrhage, while at the same time allowing the application of pressure to the area. And I think that given the choice, applying pressure is much more important. Now, I, I mean, having said that, if you have a broken nose, somebody broke your nose, those ice packs are very important to decrease swelling. Right. 
So that, in, in that circumstance, I think is an exception. Now to prevent nosebleeds, one, I mean, listen, once you've had a major nosebleed, you'll do anything possible not to have another one because it is pretty scary. So here are some strategies that will decrease the chances of a recurrence. Uh, you want to prevent nasal dryness. That's the main thing. So you want to moisten your nasal cavity with maybe a little petroleum jelly on a swab, a cotton swab, or maybe a little antibiotic ointment. Use a cotton swab to gently smear a thin layer inside several times a day, especially before going to sleep. Uh, alternatively, you can use a nasal um, saline type of product and spraying it in your nostril helps keep the inside of your nose moist and doesn't have neosinephrine or, or oxymetazoline metazoline, uh, and uh, will not be habit-forming. Uh, use a humidifier to increase the humidity in your home during winter. That's something that's important. Um, don't smoke. Smoking can dry out the inside of your nose. Don't pick your nose or allow a child to do so. Don't blow your no nose very forcefully. Uh, keep your fingernails short so you don't traumatize the lining if you do pick your nose. Um, and you want to avoid excessive use of decongestants and allergy medications because these can definitely dry your nose out. Uh, of course, discuss any medicines you take with your healthcare provider. Make sure they're not a factor in your nosebleeds. I'll tell you, nosebleeds can be scary, but you can deal with most of them successfully with limited supplies, even in an austere or off-grid environment. So with a little material, a little knowledge, uh, nosebleeds are a bump on the road, a bump on your nose or a bump on the road, but not the end of the road if you're a prepared individual. Now, I'll tell you another condition that I didn't mention before where nosebleeds can occur, and that's during a pregnancy. Uh, you might say, I don't need to hear about that today. That's not my plans for times of trouble. <laughs> Start repopulating the earth, and maybe so, but it's a rare individual that doesn't have a wife, a girlfriend, a mother, a daughter, niece, granddaughter, whatever, that is either not of childbearing age or one day will become of mm -hmm. childbearing age. And even if they aren't related to you personally, it could be in a mutual assistance group or in your community, and you're going to be the caregiver, well, you need to know what is going on with regards to pregnancy. In, in a collapse, society is going to be unstable. Organized medical care is going to be very spotty at best, non-existent at worst. And if we reach a point that we lose our access to modern health care, one of the least welcome events might be one that's usually considered a blessing. That's a pregnancy. Absolutely. And mentioning pregnancy and the fact that we were just talking about nosebleeds, mm -hmm. a woman who's pregnant increases her blood volume by 50%. And guess what that can do to the blood vessels in the nose? Aha! It increases the pressure. And it can get nosebleeds. And can give you nosebleeds. And so women who may never have had a nosebleed may have nosebleeds during pregnancies. I, I've had I had in the past quite a few patients that had an issue with that. So yes. that's something to think about. It's a it is yes. a major issue. Absolutely. Now, of course. Well, I wouldn't say major issue, but it's one of the issues. Issue. It can be, yes, absolutely, yes. especially with that kind of pressure and increased blood flow. Now, there are a number of different issues that you're going to have to deal with in a long-term survival scenario, and the normal view uh if you read these apocalyptic novels and stuff like that, as you have, we have the responsibility to repopulate the world. And of course, that's absolutely true, maybe further down the road. But first, your family has to survive. 
And until things settle down, pregnancies and the complications that possibly could accompany a pregnancy are going to be a significant burden. And that is something that's very important. When you are pregnant, you don't necessarily feel at 100% effectiveness. Exactly. You know, your work efficiency drops, you're in pain, you have back pain, you have maybe nauseous, or you maybe all sorts of different things going on with you that may affect your ability to function. And so definitely it's, it's an issue. And of course, if there is a, a true societal collapse, you have some major EMP and there's just no longer any electricity, hospitals are down, things like that. Well, you know, there is indeed a death rate in the past that was associated with pregnancy. Uh, it's very low now, but it was not so low back in the old days. I mean, in the year 1800, for example, the average woman could expect about six to 10 pregnancies over the course of her reproductive life. And the death rate, otherwise known as the maternal mortality rate, was about two to 4% per pregnancy. Wow. Per pregnancy. So if you have insane. 10 pregnancies, then you could have a 20%, 25%, maybe more chance of dying as a result of childbirth. And if you take a look at some of these old country graveyards like we do in the uh, Smoking Mountains every so often, you'll see a lot of women that are there that died in their 20s and 30s simply because they had a complication of childbirth. And, and indeed, one out of four women in the year 1800 died due to complications of being pregnant or during the childbirth itself or even soon after a successful delivery of a healthy infant because of infection or hemorrhage, things like that. Now, if a major disaster occurs, you have to realize then that your women are going to face maybe an unacceptable level of risk if you don't take measures to prevent pregnancy. There's not going to be medicine or medical supplies with which to treat childbirth complications. Pregnancy, at least most people won't have that. And deaths may occur simply because there's not enough IV fluids or medications to stop bleeding or to treat infection. Now, these tragedies could occur. I mean, they, they would happen at a time that we need pretty much every member of our survival group to be productive. You got to grow food, you got to manage livestock, maybe defend the perimeter, or care for children, all, all that's going to take so much energy. And when a pregnancy goes wrong, it takes away a valuable contributor from the survival family, sometimes permanently, places an additional strain on resources and manpower. So let's discuss some of the reasons that women could cease to become productive group members or even die during pregnancy or childbirth. One is hyperemesis gravidarum. Now, you may not have heard of hyperemesis gravidarum, but it is a very, very common thing. That is being nauseous or vomiting during pregnancy. As a matter of fact, I read a story about Prince William taking his son, uh -huh. who is... Prince, wait, is that Prince William is the father? And what's the name of the little boy? I forget. All right, well, anyhow. We're not British, so. All right. <laughs> well, Prince William, the, the heir to the throne, has a child. He has two children now, actually. And his son is now four or five and went, went to the first day of school. 
Yeah. Okay. And he went to the first day of school. What's his son's name? George. George. Okay. So George. So and his, Charlotte's the little girl. All right. So his but son she's George. She's expecting a third one. I know. Now. She's amazing. Well, and because she's expecting a third one, she missed Prince William's first day of school. And uh, I think of kindergarten. Aww. And the reason why that was is because she has hyperemesis gravidarum. Oh, poor thing. So oh, no. That's medical speak for excessive excessive vomiting during pregnancy. So she actually got she dehydrated. Any, she doesn't have any extra fat. The woman no. cannot handle not eating, not drinking. Exactly. So her dehydration caused her to miss an important milestone in her child's life. So it's pretty amazing. Now, most people, you may feel vaguely nauseous or you may vomit once in a while. Some women have really bad cases of it, and a small percentage of them have such an exaggerated response to the hormones of pregnancy that it causes them to vomit all over the place. They just cannot stop. They can't keep any fluids in. And in the old days, without being... Uh, being able to get intravenously hydrated, right. there were a number of these women that actually died. There was actually so a ten percent or more death rate as a result of just being nauseous or vomiting during pregnancy. Dehydration is a killer. I mean, we've talked about what happened during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, dehydration will get you. That's right, and so you have to realize that a lot of survival groups aren't going to have the knowledge to know how uh, on how to institute IV fluid therapy, may not have the supplies. I mean, these are heavy supplies. Even if you have a case of IV fluids, you go through them pretty fast. And uh, it's unlikely that, you know, a couple of months down the road that you're going to have any of that stuff left over. And so this is just one of the, one of the reasons that people... Women can actually get very, very ill or even not survive a pregnancy. Something that is as simple as being nauseous and vomiting during pregnancy. Of course, the human race is not perfect. We don't always produce perfect pregnancies. And about 10% of all pregnancies end in something called miscarriage. And that's where the pregnancy just does not continue. When that happens, usually there is some bleeding, the passage of some material which is the what Sometimes, we call the products of conception. Right. Sometimes uh, people will feel cramping, almost like period cramps. Right. Um, a little bit stronger. And they might not feel pregnant anymore. They may, if, if you have the experience of being pregnant, you know when you feel pregnant. Right. And they may not, because of a drop, drop in, the, in the hormone. Before you may not see feel the bleeding, anymore. you may yep. feel less pregnant. Yeah. You right. don't have the nausea. Right. The, uh, another thing that happens is you have a, a high, at least for me, and a lot of people, a sensitivity to smells early on. Right. You can smell things from far, far away. If there's garlic in food, you know it when it's being cooked in the kitchen of the restaurant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there like, you go. Right. Oh, my gosh. Fish, like, kills you. But anyway, that, that sensitivity decreases. You feel less pregnant. Or you don't feel as pregnant as possibly the last one. And I think that's a, a hormone disorder. Something's not quite right with it. And then, of course, the body recognizes Mine's this yeah. and follows through and says, okay, well, we need this to start over. This pregnancy is not normal, so we're Right, we need to start over. I mean, the the purpose of our bodies, folks, is, is not to live a joyful life. Um, it's to reproduce. I mean, that's pretty much what... What animals and, and humans, you know, biologically, yeah. our yeah. cells, 
not our spirit or our Maglets. soul, but our cells. That's what keeps the are species meant, going. Are, are, right. The purpose of those cells are to reproduce. They there reproduce you. themselves, and the body as a whole reproduces to make another body. Now, when a woman miscarries, many times she doesn't pass all of the products of conception. Right. And so if that's the case, this tissue that stays inside her could become infected or could cause continued bleeding right. and cause anemia or cause major issues. The treatment in this case in modern times is something called the DNC, which is a procedure that uses little scrapers called curettes to remove or retain tissue, and that stops the bleeding and prevents will prevent infection by getting rid of dead material that's that's in the body. Absolutely, unless it was a pregnancy in the tubes. Right. A misplaced pregnancy. Yes. Then you're going to have real issues because scraping out the uterus is not going to get that material. Out. That material is growing somewhere else that you don't have access to. And unfortunately, in that situation, that's surgical. That's going to kill that's somebody. Where, that, that's going to kill women That's where that surgeons like you came in to right. save lives. That's right. Well, what happens is the pregnancy winds up getting stuck in a tube. The tube or, only has or a certain... Or elsewhere. Or elsewhere. <laughs> it only has a certain ability to grow in that circumstance before it ruptures something, ruptures right. the tube, right. causes bleeding internally, and indeed, people can die from that. So... Not it's only a very scary so miscarriage can cause infection, could cause bleeding, a tubal pregnancy, which occurs one in every 125 pregnancies right. or so, uh, that can cause people to die as well. Uh, also, uh, hypertension. That's uh, there's a condition called pregnancy-induced hypertension. That's pretty common uh, when, especially in a, the last month of a first pregnancy. That is a very common thing. People, uh, some, some women have uh, elevated blood pressures that cause extreme swelling. You can sometimes identify that. Of course, you can identify it by taking their blood pressure, but you can also see that they have a lot of swelling, not just in their ankles, but all over, all the way up their legs, maybe in their face. Uh, Pregnancy-induced hypertension swells up the entire body, and if you leave it untreated, sometimes this condition leads to seizures that become life-threatening. And off the grid, I guess the only treatment you'd have would be bed rest on their left side, which at, at at best, that takes away a productive member of your group. At worst, may fail to prevent worsening of the condition. It actually right. could kill the baby or the mother. So let's say that the pregnancy itself was uncomplicated. The birth process, while usually it's perfectly natural, routine, sometimes prevents, presents some dangers. Every childbirth always involves some bleeding. could be a little, could be a lot. It could be caused by lacerations from the passage of the baby through the vaginal canal or maybe a stubborn placenta that doesn't expel itself itself spontaneously afterwards. So those are some things that can occur that can cause bleeding. And when childbirth is associated with excessive bleeding, there are like certain procedures and maneuvers that you that trained midwives or obstetricians can perform that stops, stops the hemorrhage. And when the hemorrhage occurs, no trained individuals are present at the birth. Well, you've got a problem. And so it, there are lots of different things that you can do, but indeed it is a difficult situation, uh, especially if part of the placenta is stuck inside the woman, it doesn't all come out. That can be the cause of significant bleeding and certainly infection. So a lot of different things that can cause, cause major issues. Now next, 
Time, however, we're going to tell you all about how you can indeed take care of a pregnancy and give that woman the best chance of producing a healthy baby, a healthy mother, and not only physically, but emotionally, psychologically, get them through uh, in, in a healthy fashion. So we're going to be talking about that next week as part of the show. And we're going to be talking about a lot of other things, as we always do. But right now, we are pretty much just about out of time. So I want to thank people for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones. And, and Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. Nurse Amy. Don't forget to check out our store at store.doomandbloom.net. And, hey, make an old man very happy. <laughs> Experience the joy that comes with helping the elderly by making an old man, me, very happy. And your family more medically prepared by getting a copy of our award-winning third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. You can get a personally autographed copy at doomandbloom.net or just go to Amazon.com. Make sure you get the third edition, though. 700 pages, 150 different medical topics. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.